Genesis chapter 41 tonight. And I'd like to preach for a few moments tonight on the life of Joseph again. For the past two weeks, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. Joseph's life is marked by the principle of stewardship. But not just any kind of stewardship, not just stewardship of, of money or, or even of time or even of responsibility. We're going to look a little bit at that tonight. But what Joseph is a good picture of is being a good steward of your circumstances. Uh, you know, we talk about patience, and I said this a couple weeks ago. We talk about patience and praying for God to give us patience about things. Sometimes we think of patience just as merely waiting. But patience is not simply waiting. See, the truth of the matter is, most of the time if we could change things, we would change things. Uh, patience is not the, the reality of waiting, but it's the responsibility that comes along with waiting. And it's not just in whether we wait, but it's in how we wait. And we're going to see the end of the story, so to speak, concerning Joseph's trials in his life. Now, that's not to say he didn't have some hard times after. I'm sure that he did. A lot of Joseph's life is not recorded. In fact, more of Joseph's life is not recorded in Scripture than what is recorded in Scripture. Uh, but tonight we're going to sort of see how God winds up the story of what Joseph has been going through. Now, we're going to start at verse 25. I, I don't see a need to read the entire chapter. Most of you are somewhat familiar with it. But to give you a little bit of recap, Joseph had been in prison. And uh, for somewhere upwards of my, my opinion is about 10 years, but it could have been as many as 12 years. He's 17 when he's sold into slavery. He's 30 when he stands before Pharaoh. So if you figure he spent at least a, a year in the house of uh, Potiphar, then that would equal probably about 12 years. Uh, you say, well, could he have been in Potiphar's house longer? Well, yeah, I think he could have, but probably not with Potiphar's wife there he couldn't have. And so I don't think he spent a whole lot of time in Potiphar's uh, home. And uh, so it's been 17 years, or 13 years, since Joseph left home. Two years prior to Genesis 41, he interpreted a dream uh, for the butler and for the baker of Pharaoh. He uh, interpreted, God gave him the interpretation that the baker was going to be killed and the butler was going to be restored, and it happened just how God said it would happen. It always happens just how God says it'll happen. And the butler forgets about Joseph. Joseph had one request. He said, don't forget me. And the butler forgot him. And so uh, after two full years, the Bible says in the first verse of chapter 41, Pharaoh has a dream. Has a dream about uh, seven stalks of corn that are healthy, that are well favored. And then he has a dream about seven stalks of corn that are kind of sickly looking and pitiful looking. And uh, the dream goes that the stalks of corn that were pitiful looking consumed the stalks of corn that were healthy looking. And he had a dream about seven cattle, uh, or 14 cattle, technically. The first seven were uh, fat and healthy. And, you know, if anybody ever says that you're fat, just tell them, no, I'm just healthy. I'm trying to avoid the risk of starving to death. Amen? And these calves were, uh, these cows were healthy. They, uh, you could tell they'd been well fed, well took care of. And then he sees seven cows uh, that look sickly. And the seven cows that look sickly consume the seven cows that looked healthy. So Pharaoh says, I've had this dream, I need to know what it means. And so he calls for Joseph out of prison. Let's begin in verse number 25. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed to Pharaoh, showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-flavored kind that came up after them are seven years. 
And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. There shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of those good years that come, lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of all his servants." And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Forasmuch as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him to wife Asenath, uh, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, uh, the food of the field which was round about every city laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bare unto him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. The name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread." When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Look at verse 46 once more. Let's read it and we'll pray. The Bible says, And Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the blessing of Your presence this morning. Thank You for meeting with us. And Lord, we just ask the same for tonight, that Your Son would be lifted up and magnified and exalted and praised, that our hearts would be drawn nearer to You. Lord, you, you and You alone are the only one that can do in our lives what is most needful. And so we do not depend upon the arm of flesh tonight. We do not depend upon uh, a crafted sermon or upon uh, pulpiteering abilities. But Lord, we simply and solely trust in the work of the Holy Spirit tonight to do in hearts what would bring You glory. Lord, we love You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we study the life of Joseph, we've come to the consummation of the story concerning his affliction. And uh, I, I want to kind of preach this tonight, and, and some of the time we're going to sort of preach it like Joseph was telling his story. You know, I don't know who recorded the story of Joseph. There's some of the things that are recorded that no doubt had to come from Joseph. I don't know if Joseph sat down, maybe with his children, maybe with Ephraim uh, or Manasseh, and said, I want you to write your daddy's story down and preserve it, because there's coming a day when folks are going to need to hear what God did in my life. One thing's for sure, we find in the life of Joseph uh, the last testimony and the last working that God does in a particular way in the life of the children of Israel until we come to Moses, who was the man that very likely penned the words that said on your page. And so God chose distinctly and specifically to preserve the story of Joseph. Probably Joseph was one of them that sat down and said a word about what had taken place in his life. And I want us to just consider some of the things that he said. Now remember, Joseph did not choose the path in front of him. Let me say this, that Joseph spent his entire life being carried anywhere that he went. He did not choose the path in front of him. And let me go a step further and say this, nor could Joseph have chosen the path that was laid before him. And yet here he stands as a 30-year-old man, the second most powerful individual in the entire world, and every bit of it's been done by the hand of God. If I could give a theme to the first part of this message tonight, it would be this, that God knows what He's doing with your life. God knows what He's doing with your life. If there was a theme to the second part of it, it would be this, so you better know what you're doing with your life. But for the first part of the message, I just want us to notice that God knew what He was doing in the life of Joseph. And I think Joseph understood this. I want you to notice first off his benefactor. Now, let's, let's just glance over a few verses. And what did Joseph say about his situation? Look in verse number 25. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Look at verse 28. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Look down at verse number 32. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Look down at verse 38. Uh, and uh, Pharaoh, you know, he sort of picked up on this because, and Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, is a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Look at verse 39. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise 
as thou art. Do you catch a theme that's being presented in the chapter that we've read? Could I say that the theme is this, that God's been working the entire time. Joseph acknowledges this. He says, God has brought this to pass. God is going to bring this to pass. Here he is standing before the most powerful man in the world in Egyptian culture. You understand the the boldness that Joseph was exhibiting. Because in Egyptian culture, the Pharaoh was God. I mean, the Pharaoh was considered God in the flesh. Whoever it was that held that scepter was considered divinity and deity manifest on this earth. And Joseph, with boldness, with a backbone tempered in prison affliction, looks at Pharaoh and says, God is about to do something in this land. See, Joseph understood who it was that put him where he was at. We're preaching tonight on stewardship and sovereignty. You understand that, right? We're preaching on what happens when God blesses us and gives us a scope of influence and gives us a scepter of authority. And let me say that the first thing that Joseph did was acknowledge it was God that had put him there. You know something I've found to be so about human nature? Everybody needs God until things start going well. Everybody needs God until things start going well. You remember what happened. I was talking with, uh, I believe it was Brother Steve the other day. We were talking about uh, September eleventh, two 2001. And uh, let me say that I, I, I am appreciative for every prayer that was prayed, for every genuine move that was made towards God. I'm not being critical, nor am I being skeptical about those that maybe that was a, a, li- a life-changing thing and, and it drew them closer to God. But isn't it interesting that on September 10th, 2001, America had no use for God? Wasn't welcome in the school system, wasn't welcome in media, wasn't welcome in politics, wasn't welcome in the news. Uh, you remember what had happened, don't you? Most of you remember. In fact, we just rolled over uh, some anniversary of, of Columbine and when Columbine uh, took place. And everybody asked, well, man, where's God in all this? Uh, the public school system kicked God out years before. Uh, it's no wonder where God was at. God's where He's always been. The question is where we're at. On September 10th, this country didn't have much interest in the things of God. But then when tragedy struck, all of a sudden, churches were being flooded with people. Flooded with people. Pastors were getting phone calls in the middle of the day. Can you open up your church? Our our workers want to come in and pray. That's human nature. That's human nature. Everybody needs God until things go wrong. Joseph had God when things were going wrong. But notice that when things start going right, he's still got God. When things start going well, he still acknowledges God. Let me ask you something. It's easy to pray and to, to, to beg God and to plead with God when you have a need, but are you still going to be as interested in God when He meets that need? Are you still going to have as much use for the Lord when He meets that need? When He answers that prayer? Joseph is seeing all of his dreams. Well, I say that. I don't know that these were the dreams of Joseph. I don't know that he ever anticipated But Joseph is seeing the dreams of others coming true in his own life. I mean, he is uh, poised for a position here uh, that men would war and battle and kill for. And all he can think about is how God brought it all to pass. All he can think about is how God is about to do something. Any blessing that you have in life has come from the hand of God. That's a reality. That's not theology. That's reality. That's practical. 
Every blessing that if you want theology for it, I can give it to you. Uh, James said that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything that you've got in your life worth having has come from God. We need to recognize that. Stewardship begins with an acknowledgement of the ownership of God. Part of the reason we're poor stewards is because we think we own things. We think we own things. Belongs to us. Joseph recognized and realized that it was God that had brought all these things to pass in his life. For 13 years he had been in affliction. And now, in a moment, wouldn't you think he would have said, and and you'll notice that this is absent from Joseph's language. I was reading in, in the Old Testament, we were doing family devotions last night, and we were reading about David being exiled by his son Absalom. And one of the things that struck me as David left uh, Jerusalem is all of these various people are coming up to him and speaking to him. There's a whole caravan of people that, that are loyal to the king, that are leaving Jerusalem. And all these people are coming up and speaking to him. And everyone, when they came up and spoke to David, they'd always address him like this. They'd say, my Lord, the king. Didn't matter what they were saying, didn't matter what they were doing. David wasn't doing a thing for them, but still just out of reverence, they would say, my Lord, the king. And yet we find such flattery absent from the words of Joseph. We don't find him bowing before him and saying, Your great, powerful, and benevolent Pharaoh, thank you for this audience. But there is one word that rings clear as a bell over the words of Joseph, and it is the word God. And it's loud enough that Pharaoh can hear it. Because when it's all said and done, Pharaoh says, This is a man that the Spirit of God is in. This is a man that the Spirit of God is in, and God's about to do something. This is a man that knows God, and this is a man that God knows. So we see his benefactor in the verses that we read. Now I want you to notice his bringing out. Now I, I kind of, you know, preachers, I, I, I tell you, preachers have to fight or else they'll spend more time alliterating a sermon than they do studying for a sermon. Amen? That's a bad place to be. When everything rhymes, it just don't make no sense. And uh, you kind of have to be careful about that. And so I... I, I I tossed some things around. I wish I could have figured out something that sounded better. Then I got to thinking about what God said about the nation of Israel and how He brought them out of Egypt. I thought about what God is doing in the life of Joseph. And God is bringing him out of his place of affliction. I mean, you couldn't find a more stark difference than Joseph experienced from that morning to that evening. When he woke up that morning, he was a prisoner. When he woke up that morning, he was in poverty. When he woke up that morning, he had nothing to his name. And before he pillows his head, he's the second most powerful man in the entire world. Let me say this, that our circumstances are no great leap for God. They're no great leap for God. There's not a problem in this world that you had that God couldn't make go away in a moment if He willed to. And there's not a security that we enjoy in this world that God couldn't rob us of if He chose to. We have a sovereign God. He's in control. And He's powerful and He's able. And so in Joseph's life, we see some things that change. And I got a real blessing out of reading this because I began to compare and contrast some of the things that that Joseph had been through. And look at where he was at now. I want you to notice first off the sovereignty that he experienced. Look at verse number 40. Now, Pharaoh says this, Thou shalt be over my house. Now, that's not just a house. That's his household. In other words, in all the powerful people in Egypt, Joseph, you will be the most powerful other than me. He says this, 
and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. In other words, Joseph, there's no one above you save me. And in practicality, even I will not interfere with your leading of my people. Only in the throne, only in position, Joseph, am I greater than you. I'm putting a world empire into your hands. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand. You know that's significant? The ring was that with which they sealed royal documents and, and, and historical things. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm probably too fat to get this off, but he's saying, Joseph, I trust you implicitly. I'm giving to you, listen carefully now, I'm giving to you my name. That's what the ring represented. See, that name would have had his royal crest or seal or symbol or whatever it might be. Joseph could take that, take the wax and, and heat it and, and dip that ring into the soft wax and sign the name of Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'm giving you my name. And anything that you ask in my name, Joseph, you're going to receive. He goes a step further, and we'll reread this here in a moment. But he says this, he put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Now stop and think about it. When that morning, when the sun rose up, he was a prisoner. He was a slave. When that morning sun rose, there were scores of people, including any common Egyptian, were they to see him out and about, had an authority over his life. And in just a moment, all of a sudden, he has the authority over everyone in Egypt. What a remarkable thing God did in his life. If I can do nothing else by this sermon, could I just encourage you by making your problems seem small? Seem small. Not to say that they're not important, but can I make them seem small by just showing you how big God is? I mean, when He woke up that morning, He was a prisoner. He had no authority. But when the sun went down, he was the second most powerful man in Egypt. Look at verse number 42 again. The Bible says, And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. We see the splendor that he experienced. When he woke up that morning, he clothed himself in prisoner's rags. I don't know what Joseph would have worn as a prisoner. There's no question he had favor with the chief of the, of the wardens that was there. There's no question that he was in a place of probably comfort relative to some of the other people that were there in prison. But there's also no question that he had been in a place of affliction. He had woke up and been in poverty. And now before he pillows his head, he's wearing Pharaoh's ring, Pharaoh's robe, and Pharaoh's necklace. I, I think we've got to be careful that, that we don't... Temporal things are good. Eternal things are better. You know? But God put us in a temporal world. 
And I think we need to be cautious, and I think good stewardship is, is very important. But let me just say this, there's no financial burden you face that's going to put a dent in God's wallet. None that you face. There, there's, there's no insurmountable mountain when it comes to God's pockets. God's able. God's able. You know that God, you know the reason that God answers financially sometimes in our lives? And He does. I don't think we ought to be scared of talking about that. But, but He does. He does answer in that way. It's to increase our faith, not our finances. Uh, God's not interested in us just laying up gold coins, diving in them like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> but there's not a single problem that you face when it comes to finances that's a big problem to God. He's able. We see the splendor that he experienced. Then notice the spouse that he was given. Look at verse 45. I thought this was interesting. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, zaphnath paneah You say, what does that mean, preacher? I bet it means something really good. It might. I don't know. Nobody else knows what it means either. You say, what's the significance of that? Well, uh, as we look at this dispensationally and uh, through the prism of typology, uh, it's a picture of the exalted Son of God who's going to be given a name that no man knows. But Pharaoh gives him a new name. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. It's interesting to me that Joseph made a choice. And you know the whole life of Joseph is a testimony to timing. A testimony to God's timing. That God's timing is impeccable. Joseph was red-blooded like anyone. Joseph was a human being. Joseph was a man. And there's no question that there in Potiphar's house, there was an aspect to himself, to his mind. There was a part of him that is known as the flesh that he had to battle. Has that woman pursued after his integrity and after his character? But Joseph made the choice to follow the will of God, to do the right thing, to keep himself pure. I mean, listen, who was he keeping himself pure for? He was a slave. He had no future. He was a prisoner after that. He had no future. He was a condemned man. You say, who was he keeping himself pure for? Let me say to our young people, you say, who do I keep myself pure for? You keep yourself pure for God is who you keep yourself pure for. We talk all the time about young people keeping themselves pure for their spouse. That won't last long. They've got to learn to keep themselves pure for God because that's who they belong to. And that's who's displeased when they face impurity. But now here Joseph is. He could have never imagined it. I hope she's good looking. If I know how God is, she's probably good looking. But he woke up that morning a prisoner. Destinedly, and Joseph had every reason to believe. He didn't have a death sentence hanging over him. He had every reason to believe that he was going to stay in that prison for the rest of his life and live a life of loneliness and celibacy and live a life never knowing the companion of a spouse. And yet when the sun goes down, God's put someone in his life to be his spouse. Let me just say that relationships are holy in the jurisdiction of an almighty God. You'll be the happier. And it, it, I, I'm not, I don't like to just fuss at young people. But I will say to our young people, you'll be a lot happier if you'll just let God be the maker of relationships. Uh, God, God has a way of salvaging people's lives. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of folks in this world wish they'd go back, take back some of the decisions they made about their relationships. 
you just let God make those decisions, you'll find He always makes them right. He always makes them right. Then notice, look at this. You think I'm done. I'm not done. But look at verse 46. I thought this was interesting. I wasn't really going to deal with this, so I don't have no fancy word for it. But notice this freedom. Look at the end of verse 25. The Bible says, And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. I don't know how far the, the sphere of travel was for Joseph before, but it probably wasn't very far. Joseph didn't get to make very many decisions for himself. But before the sun's down, he can go anywhere he wants. And he's not only making decisions for him, he's making decisions for everybody else. It's funny because when I was a young person, I always wanted to make decisions. You know, and then you grow up to be an adult and you just wish you'd go hide from them all. That's not reality. You want to live your life and make your own choices and have responsibility. That's normal. That's normal. I'd worry about a young person that didn't want those things. But now, Joseph, because he's placed his life in the hands of God, God's done more with it than he ever could have. We see his story. Look at verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I'm going to make a few statements about this, and I don't know how much further God will let me go. But let me just say that there was no shorter route to God's blessing than God's will. Joseph could not have devised a shorter pathway to the place that God had for him than God did. It took him through some areas and places he did not expect. And yet, God's hand was upon him and God's presence was with him. And here he stands as a 30-year-old man, the second most powerful individual in the entire world. And he couldn't have done that. But God can and did do that. Let me say about my life. I look at what God's done in my life. Look at where I'm at and where God has placed me. Let me just say that I couldn't have done that. I didn't have the ability to do that. I didn't have the, the smarts or the wisdom. To, if it had been me making those decisions, I would have messed up. I've messed up enough uh, just in what little decisions God lets me make. Amen? But you place things in God's hands. He'll put you on the shortest path to the greatest blessing. It may not be temporal, but as I said, temporal things are good, eternal things are better. It may be temporal blessings, most likely it will be eternal blessings. As you look at the lives of every single individual that trusted God with their life, you see, by the way, you know you see the same thing in the life of Daniel as well? Daniel would not have chosen exile as the path for exaltation, but God did. God did. You see, God knows what He's doing with this business. He knows what He's doing. Look at verse 47. We see His benefactor and His bringing out, but we see His busyness. The Bible says, And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. Now, if we're going to talk about stewardship, here's where we need to talk about it. And He gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field which was round about every city, laid He up in the same. Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. Let me just say this very quickly, that he took the opportunity that God gave him to do something great with God. There was a goal set before him by the Lord God Almighty, and he ran as hard as he could, as fast as he could, for as long as he could, and that was the will of God for him. When you find the will of God, when you find what God has for your life, pursue it and pursue it with passion. 
God, I mean, he had been a steward for 13 years in affliction. Now, all of a sudden, he's a steward in sovereignty. And he says, God's given me an opportunity. I need to take it and I need to do something with it. There's the old uh, saying, make hay. You see, the Bible says a little bit differently. You know what it says? It says, work during the day for the night cometh when no man worketh. God's blessed you in some respect. Listen, if He's blessed you financially, serve Him financially. If He's blessed you with family, serve Him with your family. If He's blessed you uh, with affliction, serve Him in your affliction. But whatever it is that God's blessed you with, serve Him with it. Because there might come a day when you don't have it anymore. There might come a day when you don't have it anymore. We see His busyness, but notice in verse number 50, we see His blessing. Now, I picked that word distinctly. Because I don't mean His blessing uh, uh, from the Lord, but rather I mean His blessing of the Lord. Now, if we were to look, here is where Joseph gives a testimony about his life thus far. Joseph says something about the 13 years that it took him to get from the fields of his father to the palace of a pharaoh. And he says this in verse number 50, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bare unto him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. You know the first thing that he says about the 12, 13 years that he spent in affliction? He speaks of God's faithfulness. He says, God took some things from me, but He repaid me more than He took from me. Here I stand as a 30-year-old man, anywhere between 30 and 37. They were born in the years of plenteousness. He said, here I am, a man in the middle of my life, at the zenith of authority, at the zenith of prosperity. And what I can say is this, it's been worth it, to trust God. It's been worth it to trust God. He named his child Manasseh and says, God's made me to forget all my toil. There wasn't a thing that God asked of me that He wasn't worthy of and that wasn't worthwhile to me. Let me tell you something. There's nothing God can ask of you that He's not worthy of. We think sometimes, I know we don't say it because we're more spiritual quote-unquote, than that. What it really is, we're too big of hypocrites to admit this. But sometimes we think to ourselves, God asks too much. I know people think that because when they're unfaithful to the Lord, they're implying that God asks too much. When they're not faithful to to serve Him or or to, to meet with His people or to read their Bible or to pray, they're implying that God's asking too much of them. But, you know, the only reason that we ever think God asks too much is because we think too much of ourselves. It doesn't matter what God asks of you. It's not more than He's given you. And it doesn't matter what God asks of you. He's worthy of it. Not only that, now listen, this is going to sound gruff, but listen, there's not a thing that God asks of you that He's really asking for all that much in the first place. You and I was just dead dogs like Mephibosheth, lost sinners on our way to hell. There wasn't a single ounce of our life that should have meant anything. God said, if you'll give me that, I'll give you my grace. I'll give you my son. I'll give you my best. We have nerve enough to look up and say, 
I don't know, God. Is that a good trade? Is that a good trade? Joseph says, there ain't a thing that God took from me, but what He repaid me fourfold. Then notice the second thing. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. He says, For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He speaks of God's faithfulness, but he speaks of God's fruitfulness. He says this, God chose a strange path for me, but God brought the best out of my life. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. You say, what's God doing in my life? He's trying to bring the best out of it. God only deals in the best. You know that? That's all He deals in. God gave you His best. God wants His best for you. God wants your best. God only deals in the best. And what He's trying to bring out of your life is the best possible thing that can be brought out of it. If we'll trust Him with it, He'll do more with it than we ever, ever, ever could, than we ever could dream to do with it. Joseph says, in the midst of all my affliction, God brought some things to pass and gave me some things that I could have never expected. We could speculate as to the the fruit that Joseph is talking about. Maybe he's talking about the two sons that he has. It's interesting because at this stage in Joseph's life, He doesn't know if he's ever going to get to see his family again. But he says this, when he looks down at those two little boys, he says, God brought something good out of my affliction because of my children. Maybe he's talking about the money that he has. It's possible. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the money that God blesses you with. And maybe he thinks back to the years that he spent in poverty and says, Oh, God has prospered me more than I could ever imagine. Maybe he looks at the influence that he has. And thinks about the times when as a young boy he was out in the shepherd's field or out in the farm working for his father. Had The only folks in life he even could, could wish to influence were his brethren and his mother and father. And when God gave him dreams, his brethren and his mother and father rejected those dreams. And now here he is. And when no man lifts up a hand or a foot except Joseph says so. He has more influence than he could ever fathom. I don't know what it is that he's speaking about. But he says this, that God did more with my life than I could have. Notice verse number 54 through 57. We see his benevolence. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Let me say this, he was in safety because he had trusted God. Joseph was not in a position to starve to death. And the prison, at a time of a normal harvest, Joseph was closer to starving to death. Oh boy, I like that. Let me say that. Let me get it. I won't get it right before I say it. Joseph was closer to starving in a normal situation in the midst of the prison than he was in the midst of a famine. And you know why? Because he had trusted God. Because he had trusted God. Nothing can touch you. If you're following the will of God, nothing can touch you except God allows it. We see that in the life of Job, don't we? Satan says, I want to afflict him. God says, you'll have to ask me first. He doesn't belong to you, Satan. He belongs to me. And so the time of affliction comes, the time of famine. And when all the land of Egypt, verse 55, was famished, 
The people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith unto you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. Listen. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. I don't know what he sold a, a bushel for. I don't know what the exchange rate or the, the state of inflation was. But I do know this, when given a choice, I don't think Pharaoh would have been too upset if Joseph had said, we'll only sell to Egyptians. In fact, it probably would have been in Pharaoh's best interest to say, we'll only sell to Egyptians. Opportunity to weaken our enemies, to gain more influence and more lands. But because of the implicit trust that he had in Joseph, he says, whatever Joseph says, do. Joseph says this, open the storehouses and sell and have compassion. You say, what do I do with the influence God's given me? You use it to point men to the Lord. I don't know what exactly Joseph did or said. I don't know exactly what happened. But I do know this, that Joseph made a lasting effect on the pharaohs of that time. In fact, when the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 that there arose a pharaoh that knew not Joseph, it doesn't mean a singular pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. What it means is a different dynasty arose. So for the entire dynasty, for the hundreds of years after the life of Joseph, up until the place where the Egyptians began to afflict the Israelites, Joseph made a lasting effect. And he did so through his wisdom and through his compassion. We see in Joseph an example of using that which God has blessed you with for the glory of God and for the good of others. We see in Joseph an example of a man that has trusted God with his life and God's done something grand with it. And so he turns around and uses it to serve the Lord and to do something for Him. And when he ends his life, I thought this was interesting. We see his burial. Now, it's not in chapter 41, but it's found down in Genesis chapter 50. You don't have to turn there. It's just one verse. In fact, I'll read it in a moment, but can I read what the Hebrew writer said about Joseph? He said this, Hebrews 11:22. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. It said this way in Genesis 50:25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. With all the temporal blessing that Joseph experienced, with all of the authority that was vested in his decisions, Joseph never forgot that there was coming a day when God would visit his people. You know what the real key to stewardship is? Number one, the ownership of God. But number two, the fact that the Lord's returning. And we're going to give an account one day. Joseph never lost sight of this that he wasn't an Egyptian. He was an Israelite. When God blesses you, you know what you need to keep in focus? Before I'm anything else, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. If you temper every decision you make with this truth, I'm a Christian, I belong to Christ, and I ought to do that which glorifies Him, you'd be amazed what He'll do with your life. That was true for Joseph in his father's house. It was true for Joseph 
in the pit, it was true for him in the Potiphar's house, it was true in the prison, and it was true in the palace. But he understood that at the end of the day, he was just a servant and child of God that belonged to him to do with as he pleased. I wonder what God's blessed you with that you might be able to bless the Lord with and by. Maybe it is finances. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's a talent that you have. Maybe it's an influence you have over your family or your loved ones or your co-workers. But in some respect, maybe there's something about your life that God's dealt with you tonight and said this, if you just give that to me, I'll do more with it than you can. And maybe tonight there's something you just want to give over to Christ and put wholly in His hands that He might use it for His glory and for your good.